This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hey there and welcome to another The Illinois live stream and podcast. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write the Illinois political newsletter. I'm a longtime political reporter, staffer, strategist, turned PR guy, write a column, mentioned newsletter writer too. Coming up, we'll talk to Representative Tim Butler, a Republican from Springfield. We'll hit a wide variety of topics with uh, with the representative on ranging from Darren Bailey's chances to November. We have a new story up on theillinois.com about uh, the math not being on Bailey's side uh, to uh, getting anything done when you're a member of the super minority in Springfield. We'll also talk to Paul Lisnick, a longtime Chicago media figure and political analyst for WGN-TV. He occasionally has me on the Sunday morning WGN-TV political report, and we were on set together on WGN on primary election night. So looking forward to talking to Paul. But I wanted to start this afternoon with the bombshell report from ProPublica, Capital News Illinois, and the Southern Illinoisan on the failures surrounding allegations of abuse at the Shote Mental Health Center in Anna, which is in far Southern Illinois. You may recall last year, two administrators at Shote, which houses uh, 225 residents with developmental disabilities or mental illness were indicted for official misconduct, alleging they covered up allegations of abuse by staff members. The investigation involved an allegation of abuse by a patient, uh, of a patient by a Shote staff member who uh, faced aggravated battery charges. Uh, Kevin Jackson is that uh, staffer's name. He was accused of repeatedly striking a female patient with a belt. At least 26 showed employees have been charged with felonies in the last decade. 26. In the story published over the weekend, we learned the Pritzker administration knew about the abuse more than a year ago. The security chief at the facility sent an email to the head of the state agency that operates the facility, warning her of dangerous conditions inside. Department of Human Services Secretary Grace Howe responded the same day, agreeing to meet, but no meeting ever took place. It would take more than a year, some high-profile arrests related to abuse at the facility before the agency unveiled a plan to address the poor conditions. In June, Howe sent a letter addressed to stakeholders, which she publicly acknowledged safety concerns at show for the first time. The agency, she said, would be rolling out a series of reforms in response to serious allegations about resident abuse and neglect at the facility. Smoot, who sent the, the initial letter, said leadership's slow response to the serious issue he encountered left him deeply troubled. Some of the detailed stories of abuse will make your stomach churn. Speaking yesterday in Decatur, Governor Pritzker was asked about those issues at Choate. The abuse and neglect that took place at Choate uh, is awful. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why we made sure that the state police did their job in investigating, that we were transparent in providing all the information that was uh, needed for them to do the investigation and to uh, hold people accountable who deserve to be held accountable. Obviously, we're very focused on making sure that that facility is doing what it needs to do to care for the people who live there. Um, we're going to continue to upgrade and uh, provide the services that people need and the personnel that are appropriate for that facility. 
I can't speak to how quickly she acted. I will say that speaking up and speaking out when you see something that's wrong is exactly the right thing to do. Uh, making sure that the there's a responsive people on the other end and that, again, we have transparency and investigation that takes place. That's the right thing to do, and that's what we're going to make sure happens. You know, that's not something that we're looking at right now, but I, I have to tell you, obviously, deeply concerning what people who worked there did. And the question is, can we prevent that in the future? And if not, then obviously that's not a facility that should remain open. But the state has an obligation to the people that it serves at that facility right now. It was interesting that he left the possibility of closing the facility, even though there aren't a lot of places for those residents to go. I, I talked to Senator Terry Bryant this morning. She's a Republican who represents the home and says that she has two family friends living in the facility. And she says Pritzker needs to take more responsibility for the issues it shows. He has a very nonchalant attitude about all of it. The fact is that the buck stops with him. These are his administrators. These are his directors. These are the facilities that he is in charge of managing, and he takes a very nonchalant attitude about it. And I will tell you that as long as governors continue to use places like Shote or LaSalle Veterans Home or a particular uh, correctional facility as a political ball to say, if you speak up, we'll just close your facility, we're never going to be able to change these things. So I know that there are advocates that want to close institutions. They want everybody to live in a silla. But the courts have been very clear that, that these people who live in these institutions have a right to choose to live there. The two individuals that I told you about that are my friends, they choose to live there. They both tried sillas, and sillas didn't work for them. So they have a right to choose where they're going to be, and they choose to be there. They want to be at Shote. That's their choice to do that. And it is our responsibility as lawmakers to make sure that they have um, what they need to make that happen. And my God, with a $46.5 billion budget, you cannot tell me that there's not enough dollars to fund that. And the governor cannot turn this on who voted for the budget and who didn't vote for the budget because the priorities were just not there for mental health and behavioral health. Face it. You know, I've been to the Fox Developmental Center in Dwight a few times, and I can only tell you that I was in awe of the staff at that facility and how they loved and treated the residents at that home. And the people who live in these, these state facilities or SILAs deserve dignity and safety, and it should bother us all that safety has been and, and may still be compromised, it showed. And we should demand better from the governor, from the legislator, from the for, from our legislators and the legislature as, as a whole, and from staff on the ground. We are pleased now to welcome in State Representative Tim Butler. Has a little shiner from a skin procedure <laughs> there, so uh, we won't uh, hold that against him. Uh, uh, you know, we're we're not actual TV. We're just like internet TV, uh, Tim. So I, I saw you nodding along with Representative Bryant uh, as she was. Uh, making her comments about Shote. And and it it does bring up a good point that the state brought in more money than ever last year. The state spent more money than ever last year, spent, e spent and raised even more in the budget that just took effect in July. And we're still seeing state facilities like Shote that are underperforming and 
not doing their job, whether it's bad people or bad places or facilities, et cetera. Is, is this a matter of the state not prioritizing mental health or, or human services? Yeah, Patrick, uh, thank you much so much for having me on. And, and as you pointed out, I do have a little shiner on my uh, face here from a little uh, procedure for melanoma. So I'd encourage uh, anyone to go out and get checked uh, for melanoma all the time we spend in the sun. Look, I the frustration that you hear in Senator Bryant's voice, I think, really underscores how many of us feel. Uh, this reporting on show is just is just terrible, to be honest with you. Uh, and I really give uh, you know Molly Parker and her team a lot of credit in, in, in exposing this. This is this is terrible. Unfortunately, this continues a long line of terrible situations that we've had in state facilities going back many years. Whether it's places like show the mental health facilities whether it's, it's our veterans' homes in Illinois, whether it's our prisons. Uh, there are just story after story, and it's heartbreaking. It's beyond heartbreaking when you see what has happened in these, these institutions. Uh, I tell my colleagues all the time. I, I, get, uh, I was on the Appropriations Public Safety Committee for several years, which oversaw our state prisons. And I got extremely frustrated with how many of my colleagues never visited uh, Illinois prison to go see what it's all about. And I would say the same thing for our veterans homes and places like showed our mental health facilities. If you as legislators aren't going there to see what's going on on the ground, shame on you. But secondarily, the governor, I, I, I agree with Senator Bryant, the buck stops with the governor and he has downplayed these um, problems. Uh, you heard his remarks. It sounded like he downplayed his, uh, the problems here at show. Uh, he's downplayed the problems with the DCS DCFS director who's been held in contempt a dozen times, and we've had 10 children who've been under the watch of DCFS that have died over the last year. Uh, and you saw these problems with the LaSalle Veterans Home. You saw this in the in the Rounder administration with the Quincy Veterans Home. The lack of response for the people uh, that are responsible for this at the agencies is just astounding. And, and as legislators and as the governor, we absolutely have to hold these people accountable, and we need to do better. I was going to say, it's not a partisan issue either, because there have been issues under under Rauner, under Ryan, under Blagojevich, under Quinn, et cetera. Um, obviously, the legislature has, has generally been run by Democrats in that time. But is, is this a matter of priorities that that you as the General Assembly, you all as the General Assembly, don't invest what needs to be invested in these these facilities? Well, I certainly believe there's always more room for investment in these facilities. And as Senator Bryant rightly pointed out, we have the largest budget in Illinois history this year, $46 billion. Uh, the priorities uh, sometimes uh, don't align with what actually we need to get carried out. But I think beyond that, it's, it, it is obvious to me that there's a culture in a lot of these, these state of Illinois institutions that does not value um, the proper work and the proper care for the people that we're supposed to be caring for. People in our mental health facilities, people in our veterans homes are the most vulnerable people in our population that we as the state of Illinois have oversight of. And look, I think there's, I represent a lot of state employees, obviously as, as a rep from here in Springfield, but you know, I, I think there's a lot more we can do uh, in coordination with the administration of these facilities and the staff of these facilities. I think there needs to be 
conversations with the unions to find out exactly what they knew and what they're they're doing about it as well. I think there certainly has to be, uh, you know, the secretary needs to be held responsible. The director at DCFS needs to be held responsible for his his issues. But I, I think that look, we've got a lot of money. Maybe we need to pre- reprioritize it into this. But I think it's a culture across these institutions that allows this stuff to happen that we just have to root out in the state of Illinois. So I, I wanted to move to, to some legislative issues. We'll talk some politics, too, before before we're done, uh, Representative. But we, we had heard that Democrats wanted to have a special session uh, related specifically to guns and or uh, abortion. Uh, let's start with abortion, just because I think we've seen that that's a, a really hot topic nationwide at this point based on Roe. Uh, Democrats are clearly trying to use that issue to fire up their base. Uh, I just tweeted out the governor has a, a new commercial, a new TV ad out today uh, that's very powerful. Um, there's also a, a, an anti-Pritzker spot that's out today that's also very p- powerful, and they're both both on our Twitter account right now. But um, what what do you see as the action that the legislature can or should take in in this in the abortion discussion because again this is this is wide open spaces for for abortion rights so so what can they possibly even do and and what should republicans do as part of the process uh you know i i get that that you know most are pro-life most most are pro-life with plenty of exceptions including the ones in the governor's commercial today. But but you all kind of look like you're on the outside looking in on this issue sometimes. So so what do you do to have a seat at the table and try and make some sort of impact, especially where we are politically? Well, certainly abortion is, is, is a tremendously divisive issue between the two parties. Um, um, Almost all of us on the Republican side are, are pro-life. But is it though? I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's it's between party activists. I mean, you saw the polling from Ogden and Fry earlier this this summer that that two thirds of, of voters are are somewhere in the middle, either right. pro-life with exceptions or, or pro-choice with restrictions. So, I mean, is and, it really that divisive in the end? Yeah, I you know I, I think that's a great point, Patrick. And I've I've had a lot of conversations with my friend Mark Batnick, Representative Batnick, about this, who's very familiar with some of that polling you referenced. And I think you look at an issue like parental notice. Parental notice is, is, you know, we repealed parental notice in Illinois. So you can have a 12-year-old daughter that, that gets pregnant, has an abortion, and, and the parents don't have the right to know that their daughter gets an abortion. I think that's an issue that we can find much more common ground on uh, than, than what the Democrats have done uh, in the Illinois General Assembly. Uh, I think a lot of these issues are going to continue to be out there. But look, in Illinois, um, obviously the, the Democrats under Governor Pritzker uh, and even starting under Governor Rauner with with HB 40, um, expanded abortion access in the state of Illinois greatly. I honestly don't know what more the Democrats would like to do in Illinois to make us to make us a destination for abortion. That's that's basically what they've done. We had 40 some abortions in the state of Illinois last year. I think Indiana uh, had 8,500 abortions last year. So it, it's it's something that I think um, you know are there. Are there other avenues to go down to have some discussions about what kind of services can we can we offer people? How can we how can we support people who want to um, give up their children for adoption and, and things like that? That's a discussion we hardly never have in the state of Illinois. 
it's always around you know access to abortion instead of what what we're doing to to encourage adoptions and things like that but this is you know i i you know you referenced a special session i honestly don't know what we could do in a special session that would that would expand abortion in Illinois because we've already done it already. The the Democrats have already done it. I think that's one of the reasons why we're not having a special session because they're having a hard time figuring out exactly what they, what what they're going to, what they're going to do on this stuff. I don't think they know. Well, and, and they're trying to find the votes, especially on like an assault. Yeah. That's, I mean, they, they know if there's something that they're going to enact this year that they want a media effective date before next July, it's going to have to take 71 votes. And I think that's a tough sell for them on most issues. You know, I, I get that Republicans are, are pro-Second Amendment and pro-gun, and it's very easy to uh, to just, you know, run to the corner on, on guns. And, uh, you know, I, I've said before, I'm, I'm a pro-gun guy and a pro-gun control guy at the same time, which makes me the weirdest conservative in the world. But uh, but we knew that anyway. The, the idea, though, that, you know, there are people committing gun crimes with illegal guns um, every day, every weekend in this state. Um, you know, while there are the high-profile Highland Park shootings, which which obviously you know have to be addressed in some form, but is 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 it misguided to focus on? the the high profile incidents like uh like an Evalde, like a highland park like a pulse nightclub or is it or should we be focusing more on what we should do about people who are committing gun crimes and violent crimes every day with handguns here here in the state i think i think one of the one of the um most important things that's come out of the last few days is the fact that the story about how um, the red flag laws that, that we've passed in Illinois and other states really haven't been been used hardly at all. And uh, I think that's something, you know, look, I think both of these obviously are concerned. These high profile shootings, these mass shootings certainly get a lot of the attention. But as we know, the reporting around the Highland Park shooting that weekend in in Chicago, more people died by gunfire, I believe, I believe, if, if I remember correctly, that that Fourth of July weekend than, than died in Highland Park. Both of those are horrible. We shouldn't have any of those. Uh, we should be able to attack these problems on two fronts. We should go after the criminals who are who are indiscriminately uh, killing people across the state of Illinois. I've had I've had gun murders in my own neighborhood here in Springfield in the last year. You know, it's it's not just the city of Chicago that has these problems. At the same time, we need to make sure that people who should not have uh, firearms in their possession do not have firearms. I'm a very staunch defender of the Second Amendment. I make no bones about it. Uh, I'm a downstate guy from a conservative district. Uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. I own firearms myself, and I I use them and I train them on them. And I know I I know I know what I'm doing with them. I know how to handle with them, and I certainly am not going to use them in the commission of a crime. People who do need to be held accountable. And I think, like I said, for the for the mass shootings, it's largely people who who should not have those guns uh, end up having those guns, and we just need to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, and that's the thing. The people who have their FOID card, who have their concealed carry license, who do go through the training, you know, they're not the people who who are often committing these crimes. Now, obviously, the uh, the the person accused of the, the crime in Highland Park had a FOID card and probably shouldn't have. But mm-hmm. but who should we be targeting then? Because these guns are getting in the hands of people who shouldn't have them. And and 
whether they're felons, whether they're red flag or not, it's still getting out there. I mean, is this a case that there are just too many illegal guns floating around? Well, I certainly think there's there's too many illegal guns floating around. Yes. I mean, that we shouldn't have those guns out there. Uh, and I'm somebody in, in my party probably that that disagrees a little bit with with some of the folks uh, of my party in the fact that I think some of these violence interruption programs uh, in some of these uh, neighborhoods do actually do good work. Uh, some of them have gotten a bad name over the years, but but I do think there's there's a role to play for dollars to to be on the ground in neighborhoods for people who know who know the folks that are committing these crimes to try to get out in front of them, just like it is with the, some of these mass shooters. Uh, it seems to me almost always uh, in, in backgrounds of these folks that someone knew there was an, uh, an issue. There was a mental health issue. Uh, I, I look at I look at the Waffle House shooter who was who was originally from Tremont. His he had his guns taken away and his father gave him his guns after he he got them taken away when his father should have known. He should, I mean, he knew that was wrong. And so I think I think a lot of times, you know, th these are issues that, that people are breaking the law. Uh, but we need to continue to go after these folks and make sure that they don't have access to these firearms. Tim, before we let you go, we have to talk about the governor's race. I had a story this morning for subscribers that uh, the math is not on Darren Bailey's side uh, in his uh, quest to, to win the governor's office. He has spent a total of $0 on television ads since winning the primary, uh, even though Dan Prof's PAC has, has spent some money. Is, is this a lost cause? For, for Republicans and a hope to defeat J.B. Pritzker as we sit here on September 7th? Yeah, I, I do not think it is a lost cause. I, I think uh, Darren Bailey needs to right his ship. But I certainly think when you look at the issues, when you look at the stuff we just talked about earlier with, with Shout and some of the stuff that's come out on the governor's administration, when you look at the headwinds on the economy and inflation uh, with, with legitimate concerns, uh, with uh, what people have, not only in Illinois, but across the country with the direction of this, the way the country's going under President Biden and, and inflation. I think I think Senator Bailey has has a real opportunity if he can stay on message and he can get that message out uh, and start talking, talking about those things to the people in Illinois. Look, he's he's starting from behind. Um, uh, evangelical Christian who sounds like he's from Alabama uh, and lives in southern Illinois is going to have a hard time winning over people in the suburbs. That's the fact of the matter. But what I what I would tell the Bailey campaign is you have a lot of good people across the state like myself that have worked campaigns for a long time that are willing to help. We have 106 candidates running for the House as Republicans. We want to work together to make sure that we get a Republican team elected across on the statewide offices, but also Republicans elected to the state house. Uh, and there really isn't yet, I think, that that coordination yet with with the with the Bailey campaign to make sure we're all rowing in the same direction. And that's and that's on the Bailey campaign to make sure they get that done. Representative Tim Butler, a Republican from Springfield, we should mention in full disclosure, Tim and I worked on Roddy Davis's first race together in uh, 2012. So we've known each other for, for many, many years. And uh, Tim, I've had the shiner you... ever since then. That's that's right. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we all had a black eye after those six months. Uh, Tim, I appreciate it. Glad you're getting a good bill of health on the the, the melanoma. And of course, uh, keep us up keep us up to date on how you're doing. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Patrick. All right. Thanks so much to Representative Tim Butler, uh, an old friend uh, who uh, has really uh, made his own as a uh, member of the legislature uh, in the last uh, few years. So, hey, look at that guy. Hey, that's Paul Lisnick, who is uh, from WGN-TV. 
uh, WGN Radio as well. He's uh, uh, hosted the WGN TV Political Report uh, on Sunday mornings where he's had me. Uh, he must have had a terrible time finding guests to be able to bring me in and, and have me talk politics with him. So, uh, Paul, we decided to turn the tables on you. Welcome. Oh, we don't have any sound. There we go. Oh, good. There you go. All right. I, I was ready to interview you and Tim. Well, we we could do that sometime. We'd probably have fun sparring. Uh, we had we had a good time uh, ten years ago uh, when we would kind of spitball ideas and yell at each other about stuff. So we had we had a good time. But uh, Paul, you've you've been you know in the the political rat race for for many many years uh, in in Chicago TV and media and. Um, where where do you think we are politically is you know you hear the it's as bad as it's been since the civil war it's it's you know we're on the verge of everybody collapsing and no one everyone hates each other and why what do you see when you look at the way politics has changed over the last 10 20 30 years well, I think things are bad. And as far as how bad they get, look, you know, we can obviously your focus here is Illinois. And so, you know, the way things are in Illinois, there's there's some of that tension here, uh, but nothing like we see in some other states. And I think when you take a look at it at a national level, the tension builds. I don't think there's any question as a national issue. If Merrick Garland decides, for example, to indict former President Trump, uh, we're in for heavy times uh, and very difficult times. And if he decides not to, we're in for a different kind of difficult time. So yeah, what's going to be interesting is I don't think any of that impacts this November. Uh, nothing's going to happen before November, but which, by the way, is interesting. DOJ, and you know I'm a lawyer, and so I'm, I'm speaking now as with the lawyer hat on as well, and I train Department of Justice. DOJ has a policy of no indictments, no big screen TV stuff um, 60 days before the election, and we're basically there. Uh, but that being said, that rule is always usually about candidates in an election. So Jim Comey violated it in 2016. But Donald Trump is not a candidate in this election. That being said, I don't think Merrick Garland is going to uh, take the rule that seriously. He's going to look at when I say that, you know, that specifically, I think he's going to say we're done for now. So after the elections and when things settle down a little bit, might things get heated up right after that? Yeah, I think, uh, Patrick, we can uh, probably expect that to happen. And as I've said on our WGN air, as a lawyer, uh, not as a political person, but as a lawyer, I think it is more difficult for Garland not to indict the former president than it is to indict. That's based on concepts of rule of the law, what the law stands and the message that gets sent out for law. I know that triggers what about Hillary and what about Hunter and all that kind of stuff. But as a lawyer, that comment is about what is going on in this situation. The, the thing I point out when people bring up Hillary is that they turned over 30,000 emails to the FBI, you know, willingly without having to have a, a search warrant executed, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the Illinois. So let's talk about Illinois yeah. politics. Um, right. You're. You are Chicago through and through. Uh, Darren Bailey is from a long way from Chicago. Um, is he is is he a caricature of a political candidate at this point to to Chicagoans? I mean, it's it's just obviously the drawl and the farmer and the you know the the poorly fitting shirts and ties. I mean, it's he he doesn't look like a CEO. I mean, is is there? Is he almost a joke at this point to, to Chicago voters? 
Um, first of all, your your use of the word caricature is really intriguing. I won't take it further than that. Uh, but I will say this. And if I, you know, if I were on his campaign team and I was sitting down back at the end of the primary when he won and say, let's let's talk about campaign strategy going forward. Um, it does look like he's playing to Southern Illinois. Um, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't in his mind written off Chicago. But look, you know, Patrick, the night of the WGN debate when he referred to Chicago as a hellhole. And then he kind of backed off on it in a speech after that when he said, sort of let me explain what I meant. But as you know, since then, he sort of doubled down on that concept. And look, in your piece today, and I'm a subscriber to the Illinois, so I get the fancy stuff from you. Um, so without spilling beans for those who don't subscribe, uh, you know, let me still say that you make the point, which is, you, you, you can't win a state race in Illinois without getting at least 20% of Chicago's vote. And he's not on track to do that. It's a huge mistake for him to not be playing somewhat to Chicago or the sub surrounding counties and, and uh, uh, suburbs of Chicago because you can't win without it. The bit about the tractor and the shirts and the no suits, you know, that could play okay. My memory was Bruce Rauner kind of tried to play with that. Remember Bruce Rauner had that, dialect that came out of nowhere uh that when he was asked about it he started to explain no it's the way he speaks but that you know oh shucks kind of a thing um not sure it worked well but but he was thinking about that but i have to note one thing when you look at pritzker i just today and i've been seeing this recently but because of your column this morning it made me think about this even more so pritzker who of course is on the airwaves and is now running this ad, maybe has been for a while, but I didn't really pay attention to it till today, where he has people saying how great he is, which we'd expect. But you know what? The people saying it look very downstate to me, they look very Southern. And I know that because somebody's got a farm behind him and a tractor. So clearly, while Bailey is sort of saying, I'm not going to work Chicago, Pritzker is going, and I'm not giving up downstate. Mm -hmm. the, it's interesting, though, because, and, and we did run a ton of numbers in the subscriber edition this morning. And even if Bailey gets to 20% in the city of Chicago, which is a long shot at this point, and he does maybe 55, 45 in suburban Cook, if he still sticks to Rauner 14 numbers in the collar counties, he still gets creamed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just the city. I mean, he is not playing in the suburbs right now. And if you're not playing in the suburbs, especially because DuPage County is not the Republican stronghold it used to be, uh, if you're not playing in the suburbs, you're you're not going to win statewide. Yeah, and you don't run. I think you even said it on my show one morning. You don't run for governor of Southern Illinois. Um, and, and and you know and, and 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 by the way, he'll get good support down there. It'll be it'll be consistent and, and, and strong support down there. You can't win a statewide election down there. So, you know, you, you don't see a lot of even the statewide candidates. They make trips down there, but you don't see them play that the way they play Cook County and the surrounding areas, because look, you just, it's where the votes are. And that's just, that's just the nature of the game. I did want to ask you about some Chicago politics, uh, starting with the mayor's race. Lori Lightfoot yep. looks like she's running for reelection. There are about a million challengers, though none of them are huge names at this point. Does does a crowded field without a superstar benefit her? Yeah, actually, I think a crowded field does because when you have several African Americans and Latinos and just you know pick your group and you got them in there, uh, LGBT, uh, Q. When you have all those groups in there, then yes, you're splitting those votes among loyalties, and then that would suggest 
that the incumbent may rise above it. Certainly, I, I think I would be, we'd all be very shocked if she doesn't make it into the runoff. We'd all be shocked if there isn't a runoff. And we'll all be shocked if she doesn't make it into the runoff. So the question is, who is her opponent in that runoff? Um, and, and right now, it's too early to call. Look, today's news uh, is Chewy Garcia. Looks like he wants to get into it. Although I will say, in getting an email from our Taman Bradley, who's our political reporter, he went on to say these headlines are actually making it look more definitive than Chewy admits that it is. What Chewy has actually said, I'm sure I'm crediting Taman with this clarification, but that he is thinking about it and doesn't want to be pressured into it. But here's the thing. What is Lightfoot's biggest problem? Most would say it's the fact that the people don't like her, that she's disrespectful to her colleagues. You get that from Rod Sawyer. You get that from, from so many. Sawyer who hasn't spoken to her in months. Um, on the other hand, Rom wasn't exactly the most polite, nice guy in the world. He's called me a few choice names. I'm sure he's called you uh, a few names. But that didn't keep him from running because it's kind of part of the personality. But for some reason, for Rom, even when he called me names to my face, I kind of laughed because I thought it was pretty funny. Um, it doesn't play that way uh, as well, I think, with, with Lightfoot. And uh, so, therefore, when you see names, possible names like Pat Quinn or Chewy Garcia, you're starting to look at people who are likable. And you might not love their policies, but give it an option of some people going, you know, but I at least at least it'll tone down the tension. Look at the exes. You know, with Howard Brookins said he's out today. That The number's at 14 already, which, by the way, is a good thing for Lightfoot. The more change you have on city council, and if she is uh, reelected, likely the more control she has over city council with all the new faces. Would would Garcia be the top competitor if if he were to get in the race? Uh, he'd certainly be one of them. Uh, once again, he's, you know, not likely to be the only uh, Latino in this race. I, you know what, I actually give a little more credit to Pat Quinn than some other people are giving him. Um, and that, again, is just that likability factor. He has been around so long, the name recognition. You know, he is a, well, you don't need to be a statewide known name, but he is a very well-known name in Chicago. He lives in Chicago. Uh, he's a Chicago guy. Uh, so I, I don't think you write Pat Quinn off easily. Yes, I think Chewy becomes a game changer, at least for a while. We'd have to see how a campaign would roll out. But a lot of the, you know, the aldermen, I don't think we've ever had, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think an alderman has ever then, you know, risen uh, to, uh, to to win an election for mayor. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. And by the way, Lightfoot did herself no good uh, in her recent comments at that unveiling the other day when she ticked off Rod Sawyer by basically saying, hey, in council wars, let's remember that they picked the, the African-American mayor they knew they could control. And that was Eugene Sawyer. And here his son is Rod Sawyer. So I'm not sure how the African... African-American community even reacted to that kind of comment where she's not even playing well to part of her own community. Uh, I think that that was probably a concern. So we'll see how that how it, how it plays out. Look, people have short memories, right? All this will wash out in the coming weeks. You, you mentioned the exodus of the council. You've got like two fifths of the council at this point that said it's not running again. Um, between crime and property taxes and, you know, the the financial black hole that the city is in and facing what's it going to take for for the city to right the ship uh both both in crime and in and in finances to get it to a place where where i think people want and expect it to be so i don't know how much control lightfoot or that administration has over the finances look in many ways i mean again you listen from biden on the way down to democrats and things seem to be improving i mean gas prices are down i'm noticing that i don't know if you are so you know and it's those kinds of things that we notice we sometimes notice things when we go into the um uh, into the grocery store and we see an item on the shelf we just notice that things are are up or down and there's still room for improvement in that area a lot of room for improvement but that may settle down in the coming weeks and by november could be a uh, 
uh, maybe not as much of a factor. It's the crime issue that I think is huge. That's what Bailey has been, you know, playing with. It's where the whole hellhole ca uh, comment came from. But you know, the problem is when you when you are a Chicagoan, and and while it is a, a critical issue, you know, Bailey plays as an outsider. I know you've asked me about the mayor's race, but that plays as an outsider, and and people don't want to hear that about their city within the city. Lightfoot's got to wait, carry the responsibility, and as much as she can take the podium along with Superintendent David Brown and say, look, the numbers are better. It's it, it the numbers are coming down. As long as people feel that they can't walk out of their house at their night and walk their dogs or walk down to the corner market or something like that, that they're afraid to do that, something they didn't fear a couple of years ago, I don't care what the statistics are. That's what's going to play strongly, I think, against her. And people will be looking for somebody who can promise her safety. So what I'm saying is I think crime and safety will emerge as we get closer to February as critical issues, even over the economy. Paul Lisnick of WGN-TV, host of the WGN Political Report on Sunday mornings. I uh, have your own podcast too, Paul. You want to plug that? Yeah, it's called Behind the Curtain. To be honest, it's not only politics, it's a lot of theater because that's my other passion. And people can go to WGNRadio.com, click on the podcast. It's called Behind the Curtain. But there is politics. Maybe you'll join me on there one day and we'll chat about stuff. I will not break into song like we're like we're uh, in Oklahoma. <laughs> like I do on the morning show. In the, yeah, Conrad and the band. Thank All right, uh, Paul, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, that's uh, Paul Lisnick. I uh, appreciate having him on this morning or this afternoon uh, as we uh, talk a little bit about uh, state politics, a little city politics too, just because there's been so much happening with, with the mayor's race and the exodus of the city council there too. So uh, we, we do appreciate you taking some time to, to join us this afternoon. Uh, really enjoy these conversations once a week and uh, we've gotten good in, input from you all as, as we hear from you and uh, have been downloading our podcast or, or watching the live stream. So, so thank you so much for that. Continue to let us know what you think and how we can make things better. We're, we're here for you. Uh, you can read our stuff at theillinois.com, I-L-L-I-N-O-I-Z-E, uh, theillinois.com. Uh, and you can subscribe to the newsletter. It's kind of up in the top right of the screen when you go to the website there. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, join us for that. And we'll be back with another live stream and podcast next week uh, here on The Illinois.